Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Um, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John, and we're going to go to chapter 5, and um, I'm going to try not to trip on this. I read this, and it wrecked me. Some of you need to be adequately wrecked this morning, and I'm excited to do it. Um. My grandfather, we call it, when we're trying to get into people's mind, we call it tear and repair. That's what we're going to do this morning. A little tear and repair. It's going to be painful. You're going to love it. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Okay, so you, most of you didn't get it, that's great, because that's my whole sermon for today, so I'm going to spend the next however long teaching this to you right here, right now, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, if you want to, you can turn to 1 Samuel, or you can just let me tell you about it. This, this, this whole idea of victory has been resonating within my soul this week, this whole thing about um, Winning in the Lord. This word victory that we see up here is, oh, it is a victory. In the Greek, uh, it's the word nike, uh, N-I-K-E. You've seen it on shoes and shirts and things. We mispronounce it as Nike. But it, it means victory, which is a pretty good name for a sporting company, right? It's victory. Um, or overcome. Actually, in the Greek, all these words, overcome and victory, they're all variants of the same word, this nike, this victory. Um, and as I was thinking about this week, this freaked me out because um, when I think about victory, I was like, this is the victory that has overcome the world, and I would say Jesus. Right? And that, that's true, right? But this, this scripture says, this is the victory that's overcome the world, dash our faith. And then right there in that moment, my whole paradigm went, just turned in on itself and um, changed me. Let's think about, think about David and Goliath, okay? So here's the story of David and Goliath. And who does not know the story? I guess that's the wrong question to ask. Who knows the story of David and Goliath? Like one person raises their hand like, I'm new in church. I don't know the story. Why are you picking on me? No, no, we don't want to do that. Um, um, the story of David and Goliath, this, this giant shows up to challenge Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. And he doesn't just show up, he shows up with an army, right? An army comes, they bring him out, and he stands on the side of this valley, and every day he's shouting at the people of God, come out and fight me. You bunch of yellow belly rednecks, come out and fight me. And the people of God are on the other side of the valley, and they're like, no, we ain't fighting this guy, he's giant. He's scary. We don't want to do it. And they can't. And the king is like, listen, if someone will just go fight him, 
I mean, I'll give him money. I'll give him one of my daughters. It's going to be really, really, really good for him if we go fight him. And David shows up. And David is just a youth, the scripture tells us. David shows up and he hears Goliath over there shouting, cursing at the people of God. And it ticks David off. He says, right, we're not having this. And of course, his brothers all are like, you just came to see a fight. Why are you even here? And, you know, they're griping at him the way people do when you're, you know, trying to live for the Lord. And they're like, they don't like it. Um, and he decides he's going to do something about it. And you guys have heard the story, most of you. He decides he's going to do something about it. The king tries to give him some armor. He's like, I don't need your armor. I know what I'm going to do. He gets down there in the valley with Goliath. He picks up five smooth stones. And him and Goliath, they have this exchange. There in the valley. They have this exchange there in the valley. Which results in Goliath receiving a rock to the head, his head cut off, and all of the Philistines running away in terror because their champion is dead, which is totally a lie because Goliath said, if you beat me, we'll serve you. That's not what happened. They beat him and like, let's get out of here, right? And they go running. And when we see David later, he's walking around a lot later. He's walking around still holding the head of Goliath in his hand. And, and here, I brought an example. All I could, this is all I could find today, all right? All right? You, just, so don't freak out. Um, it's a clown head. That's all I could find. So the next time we see David in Scripture, he walks into the presence of Saul, who's the king, and you don't have to ask him what he's been up to. Because he's covered in blood, and he has the head of a giant in his hand. This thing is hideous here. Let me... He's got the head of a giant in his hand. And I think, I think for us sometimes, and this is not what I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to talk about it for just a little bit. Sometimes I think we're guilty of hiding the giants that we've killed because we're ashamed of them, of our past, the things, but we, we, we had victory over them, but we don't want anyone to talk about them anymore. We just shove them in the closet. You didn't, you didn't have to ask David where he walked in straight into the king. I killed a giant. And that's the way some of us need to be. And it would help other people if we'd be a little more open about what we, you know, I've, I, I've defeated pornography. You know, I used to be an alcoholic. God has done something in my life. He's changed me. I used to hate people. Like, what is it? What is the giant in your life that you've killed that you've had victory in? But that's not my sermon for today. It's not, it's not this. My sermon for today isn't about that. It's about where did the victory happen? Because you wrongly think that the victory was decided when David walked into the presence of the king with the giant's head in his hand. Then the king was like, oh, we've been victorious. But that's not where the victory happened. Or you might think it's when the Philistines started running back up the hill. That's when the victory happened. But that's not when the victory happened. That's not when David won. Some of you think it's when he took David's own sword and cut off his head. 
He, he grabbed Goliath's sword. He cuts off his own head. And we think that's when the victory happened. Nope. Some of you think maybe it's when the rock hit him square between the eyes. I'm going to tell you, that's also not where the victory happened. Can I tell you where the victory happened? Thank you. It happens in this moment. It's in first, where is it? It's in first Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, when David's standing there and he says, you know what? You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the, the God of the armies of Israel, who you defy. He'd already won the victory right then. In fact, he'd done it before then. If you look up in, in 1 Samuel 17, Saul's freaking out. How are you going to beat this guy? And this is what David says. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He had already won the victory. You know how I know? Because it tells us in 1 John 5 that this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. He had won the moment he decided he was going to win. That's, that's insane. That's the Lord's definition of victory. And we think, well, and this is, this is so crazy. It's not, it's not like, because things come at us, right? Things come at us in life. We're tested. It's real, right? I just talked a little bit ago about us getting, like life comes and it pulverizes us. And things come at us, like the same way Goliath came at David with a sword and a spear and, and a javelin. Things come at us. And we think we have to beat the thing. And what's coming at you? The lack of finances or that bill. You're coming at me with a bill. Or you're coming at me with an accusation. You're coming at me with an attorney. You're coming at me with whatever the thing is in your life. A, a broken car. It's crazy the stuff that wrecks our day. You're coming at me with a disobedient kid. That'll get you. I'm going to. But making this, here's a big one. You come at me with my past. Guys, that's just a, like, what are you going to believe in? The weapon that's attacking you or the God of the armies of Israel? The Lord of hosts. And when we put our faith in Him, that's the moment of victory. Right there. Go with me over to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, what's happened is, is this is a time where the, the, um, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, have been drug off into captivity. And the Lord has let it happen. They've been drug off into captivity. And now the people of God are being asked to serve a king who is not a godly king. King Nebuchadnezzar. Have you ever heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That's what we're about to talk about. And this ungodly king, he's built a, a statue, an idol. Many historians and theologians think it was a statue of himself. 
you've got to be a pretty confident guy and think you look pretty good to build a statue of yourself. Um, he builds a statue of himself and he says, whenever the music plays, I want you guys to bow down and worship the statue. And if you don't, you're getting thrown into the fiery furnace. We've heard this story. And what happens is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow. They get these rats come and snitch on them and then they end up getting thrown in the fiery furnace and it's so hot that even the guards when they walk up to it they end up dying from just getting close to it that's how intense the heat is so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego these three guys they get thrown into the fiery furnace and as they're in the furnace the king is looking in he says didn't we throw three guys in there because now I see four and one of them looks like the son of man and then he's like, are y'all okay? Come on out. And they come out, the three guys, and they don't even, like they're not burned at all. They don't even smell like smoke, the Bible says. And that's, we think that's where the victory happened. Like victory, I walked out of the fire, I came through the flames, and I've been unharmed. Victory. That's not where the victory happened. You know where the victory happened? In chapter 3, Verse 17, this is what it says. Shadrach, Meshach, let's go to 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. He was, he was trying to get them to talk. But why aren't you bowing down? He's like, we don't have to answer you. Some people just want a big, long response. Uh, it's, it's really awesome. I I got to get into a theological debate the other day with a fella, and um, it drove him nuts because I kept coming back to, well, the purpose of all things is for Jesus to be glorified in everything we say and do. I just want to argue theology. Great, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then three minutes later, we were back to it, but Jesus is just so good. He died and he rose. And then finally he broke down. He was like, okay, fine. Fine, we'll talk about your Jesus. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Um, I have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you're going to throw us in this furnace and kill us, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver you out of, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's when they won the victory, right there. That's when they won. We don't have to answer you. My God's going to save me. Done. They had the victory before they ever walked into the flames. And, and man, I love that song. He's, it's, there's another in the fire standing next to me. It feels good to know there's someone in the flames next to us. But it feels even better to know as you're getting tossed in that he's going with you. That the victory's already happened. And you know what I love about this is these guys are gutsy. Like these guys are, uh, I hate it that we sometimes, some of us grew up with these little flannel board pictures of these things in our heads of these guys getting thrown in the furnace, whatever. These weren't little cartoon characters. These were men's men. You know how I know? Look at the next verse. It says, but if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden engine that, that you've set up. Like, like, 
we're going to be okay, but even if we aren't, we're still not going to bow down to you. That's that Y chromosome rising up in these men. Come on. We need some men to rise up and be men. I thought I'd get more amens. Proud of the men of this church for stepping up and being the men of God. Too many churches have men who hide and aren't who they're supposed to be. And, and they let the women lead. And maybe they have a man pastor, but they let the w- women lead. And man, thank God for the women of this church who are leaders. But too long in American Christianity for the last 40, 50 years, men have stood in the back. And culture, it's a cultural thing. It's not a church thing. It's a cultural thing. The culture has attacked men. You watch TV shows, the dad on every TV show, some buffoon, some idiot. It's true. We have a culture that's attacking masculinity and attacking men. It's time for men to step up and be men again. And the more the men are men, the more the women can be women. That was a side note. Where was I? Oh, if not, we will not serve you. So, so they left this little uh, asterisk on the side. Even, even if we don't get saved from this calamity, we're not bowing down. The guts in that statement, they'd already had victory. We're walking in victory. And, and let me put that on you now. Like, let's think about that in the context of this 1 John chapter 5. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. You receive victory the moment you have faith. And and faith in what? In yourself for being a real faithful person? Nope. David, his faith wasn't in David. You know, I've gotten pretty good at casting a sling. No, he recognized the source of his skill was the Lord. The same way the Lord rescued me from the bear and the lion, he's going to rescue me from this Philistine. It's the Lord who gave me this skill. It might look to you guys like it's me, but it's the Lord. These guys right here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abendo is like, We don't have any fire protective gear. It's not us who's going to save ourselves. It's the Lord. The Lord will bring us through. There will be another in the fire with us. It is the Lord who is with us. I I think it's interesting how they leave this little caveat, but if he doesn't, if he doesn't rescue us, we're still victorious. Interesting. Jamie preached on Wednesday night, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And what a beautiful verse. And she, she likened it, you know, all the graduation things we give to seniors. I know the plans I have for you. Not realizing if you read all the verses around that in context, these people are in captivity and the Lord's the one that sent them there. They're in the middle of a difficult spot and God, it's right where God wants them. And he says, you know what you're going to do in this difficult spot? 
You're going to seek me and you're going to find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Sometimes we get so filled up with the garbage of the world that we're not even hungry for the things of God anymore. So he has to force us into a season of fasting to where we're just desperate for him. Beloved, if we could in the good times run for him anyway to push aside the little Debbies of the world and the sweet snacks and treats, and truly go for the stake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then maybe we wouldn't have to be forced in the season of fasting so much. The purpose for the captivity was for God to say, okay, here's where you are, now seek me, look for me, find me. And some people will and some people won't. Some people say, you know, I'm in this, God, I hate you now. You brought me here, I'm done with you. There, there's this place where you're not worried about the outcome. You're going to be victorious regardless of the outcome. That, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God's going to save us, but if he doesn't, we're still not bowing. So it doesn't matter the outcome. I already have victory. Look at Stephen. Go with me to Acts. Chapter 7. Here's Stephen. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you think, he's preaching about Jesus. His life should be really good. Did you guys know that if you'll just preach Jesus, your life will be really good? That's, yeah, definitely not this church. We don't believe that. They're mad at him. They're mad at him because he's preaching, preaching Jesus. These Jewish people. They believe a Messiah is coming, but they believe that Messiah is going to be a conquering king. Here's the thing about the Jewish people. They're excited about a Christ coming. They're excited about a king coming, but they want him, they want the outcome of him kicking the Romans' butts. We're done with them. We're tired of being oppressed. We want a king who has an outcome that we can predict. And here's Stephen getting up and preaching about Jesus who has died and now resurrected. And in verse 51, he says to people who are already angry with him, the following, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now that was a huge insult because they prided themselves in being God's chosen people who marked themselves with circumcision. And he said, you're, yeah, you, you're circumcised, but you're not with your heart nor your ears. He's throwing down. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of you, or which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And it says, now they heard these things and they were enraged. And, the ground, and they ground their teeth at him. I don't, uh, uh, anyway, um, they were mad. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's walking in victory right now in this moment. And then they all pick up rocks and kill him. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen was victorious. Stephen was victorious 
and got killed. We have to be a people who stop defining victory as the outcome of the situation that we're walking through and start defining it as the faith that we're exercising in the middle of the valley that we're trudging through. That is victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. Worship team, if you would join me on the stage. We, we, get so, we get so confused and messed up of where our battle is. We think our battle's with the people around us or the situation around us or like we get so confused. One thing that we talk about in leadership is we, you always have these things that come up over and over again, all these issues that come up all the time. If we just fix this issue, life would be better. And realizing that as a leader, some some problems are meant to be solved and some issues are just meant to be managed. Like you'll never solve the problem, ever. You have to realize it's not for me to solve this, it's for me just to walk with it. It's my job just to walk in it, but walk in it with faith and victory in Ephesians chapter 6. It says this, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. I'm going to say that again. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now hang on. If this Christian life is supposed to be full of peace and joy and happiness, why all of a sudden are we told to be told to be putting on armor? Armor's for battle. Armor's for tough times. Not for good times. A bride and a groom, they don't put on armor on their wedding day, right? A man puts on armor when he's about to go to battle. And Paul is saying here, put on the whole armor of God, why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not that person that you're angry with. That's not... That's not the battle. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, he says it again, take up the whole armor of God. You may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And if you go through there, he actually ends up talking about the shield of faith is the only one that says to make sure you have with you in all circumstances. In all circumstances, make sure you have the shield of faith. This faith thing's a big deal. You're not going to have victory without faith. Not faith in yourself, but faith in Jesus. What I this that John is writing. Because he's totally 
Like, this is not an original idea to John. John heard this before. Go back and read it. He heard it. He heard it on that last supper. And it's crazy. Because that's where Jesus says, hey, in this world, you're going to have lots of trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Stop. You guys love Jesus. So you're like, yay, Jesus overcomes the world. Okay, this is a homeless guy. Telling a bunch of people that he's overcome the world. And in 24 hours, he's going to be hanging naked on a cross. Telling them that he's going to overcome the world. Like that he has overcome the world. If you think about the context of that, that's crazy. What have you overcome? Certainly nothing compared to the standards of the world. But it's like John heard him say it that night, writes it down, and then fast forward a few years, he's writing this letter, he's like, oh my gosh. Like, like this is real, this overcoming the world thing is real, but it has nothing to do with circumstances or outcome. And this is what he says. If you back up to verse one, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Who here believes Jesus is the Christ? So you've been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's born of Him. By this we know that we love this, excuse me, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. You know how we know that we truly have faith? Is that we obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. They are not heavy. They are not difficult. They're not hard. And that's, that's what the world tries to throw at. Like, you Christians, you just have all these rules. It's actually not that. It's actually love. And when we love, we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Here's what's so cool, is that you can walk straight into a battle and you have already won because of your faith. You can walk straight into uncertainty and and that's what like okay so it's not you know I, I haven't looked at porn in six months so I'm finally victorious over porn that's not it it's you might have looked at it this morning and right now you say you know what I have faith that I'm freed of that you have victory now And then because you love him and you have faith in his commandments, then you walk that out. You walk that out. It's now. It really isn't about yesterday or tomorrow. It's about right now. Even our faith. Right now. Stand with me. And I know I keep saying it over and over and over. I'll keep saying it until I think we all get it. And I'll probably say it some more. Is 
We've got to stop worrying about tomorrow. We've got to stop trying to figure out how everything's going to happen. Um, this is not even a, a sermon about the election. I was worried at first. Some people might think when I'm talking about victory that I might be talking about the president. I really could care less. What I'm talking about you in Carroll County, Arkansas, today, right now, right where you're standing, are you walking in victory right now in this moment? Right now. Close your eyes. And I just want you to talk to the Lord for just a moment. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.